Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Thanks for listening to the latest Football Digest podcast available on all podcast platforms. Subscribe now through Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Acast, or wherever you get your podcasts from so you don't miss a single episode. Hello and welcome along to Football Digest Extra Time with myself, Ned Keating. I'm joined today by Connor Bromley as we run the wall over another busy weekend of Premier League action. I say weekend, of course, it stretched into a Monday again for the second week in a row where we had Man United against Wolves last week. We had Arsenal against Crystal Palace on Monday night. We're recording this Tuesday morning. Um, so I suppose we probably should start with that game then, Cody. It probably seems right to start with, with the game on Monday night. Um, Arsenal, a, a victory, a difficult ground to go to. You know, it's never easy to go to Crystal Palace, especially under the lights as well. You know, we, we know how vocal the crowd can be at Sellers Park and they were in good for us last night. Um, Arsenal, they showed, yeah, good reserve and uh, good result, sorry, rather than reserve, but to get a deserving victory, I'd say, in the end, on the balance of play, they, they looked the better side for the most part. Yes, they had to, to go through a period where they were down to 10 men, but all in all, I think it was, was Arsenal's game and, and a deserved victory for them. Yeah, and, you know, the 10, I mean, I'm sure we'll talk about the red card, but, you know, not a red card. Um, and But they came through that period, you know, I think it was half an hour, they pretty much had to play with 10 men and they come from Crystal Palace, not conceding a goal. I, I felt they looked largely comfortable, a few hairy moments towards the end of the game, but ultimately, you know, deserved winners. And they're the kind of results that, Arsenal need if they want to be where they were last season, which was contending to, to win the Premier League. And I think Miguel Arteta will be happy to start the season. I wouldn't say they've started the season brilliantly. They're certainly not in fine form, but to win on the opening day against Nottingham Forest, you know, to avoid a bit of a banana skin there potentially, and then to go away to Crystal Palace, which as you say is one of the, well, everywhere's a hard place to go, isn't it? But, you know, it's one of them places where people go, oh, you, you don't fancy yourself at Crystal Palace. We know that that ground and, and that support there can get results. You know, I think back to that Liverpool game with Brendan Rodgers years ago and, and Palace you know, turned that game round and cost Liverpool the title. You know, it can be that kind of ground where crazy things happen. So I think it's a, it's a, it's a really good result for Arsenal as well. Playing on Monday night after seeing the other results over the weekend, knowing that Man City didn't drop points. I mean, I know we're only at the second game of the season, but you don't want to be chasing early on. And, you know, they did what they had to do uh, last night and it was a, a really positive result and I think their fans will be feeling pretty confident you know heading into the rest of August and into the first international break yeah they, they seem to have broken a bit of a uh, a bit of a record I suppose in, in that respect of, of it was their first Monday night away win in the Premier League under Mikel Arteta they'd had four previous games I think before the game at Crystal Palace and they'd lost all four of them so it's not even the fact that they avoided defeat for the first time it was the fact that they even just won uh, for the first time on a Monday night away in the Premier League under Mikel Arteta. Um, you mentioned there about the red card, though, and that's where we're going to come on to next now. Um, and for both parts of Takahiro Tomiyasu's two bookings that, that saw him receive that, that red card, Mikel Arteta seemed to have an issue with it. The first bit being the time wasting, um, which I'll come on to in a little bit more depth second. 
And of course, the second one where he, he pulled back Jordan Ayew, um as he was on the counter and it kind of looked like there was minimal contact, if any contact at all, uh, when, when the replays were shown. But for that first yellow card, Kai Havertz had the ball in his hands first. He takes his time to take the throw in. Takira Tomiyasu then takes the ball off of Havertz and he takes a little bit more time to take the throw in. From that respect, is, is Tomiyasu just unfortunately the wrong man in the wrong place at the wrong time at that point? Was the referee regardless of who had the ball in his hands, because of, of how long it had taken at that point. You know, we could say, well, he only he had it in his hands for less than habits. Yes, it's a fair point, but we've seen it before. You know, wrong place, wrong time. He was the one that had the ball in his hands at that point, and the referee was going to book someone for time. I'm racing at that point. Yeah, and we know as well, don't we, that they're clamping down on this. I mean, games at all levels. You know, I was at a game in League One the other day down at Carlisle, and they're doing it there, you know, for the time wasting. We all know that they're clamping down on that. In a way, you know, Tommy Asu is unlucky. He's the unlucky party that was holding the ball when the referee got sick and decided to hand the yellow card out. But on the flip side of that, if it was Kai Havertz picking up the second yellow card there in the game, you know, Mikel Arteta would have been complaining the other way, saying, oh, it should have been Tommy Asu that got up. So I think at the end of the day, when you take taking liberties with the, the time waste, when we know that that's something that they're clamping down on, I don't think you can have many complaints I do think the referees maybe early in the season are being um more sensitive to it maybe you know I maybe trying to stamp the authority in now so that later in the season players will not look it's Tommy Asu's not going to do it again is he he's definitely not going to be you know trying his luck with wasting a little bit of time but I think as well with the added time on top of that players will also know that you know it doesn't actually do much for you if you're wasting time because it's going to be put on at the end of the game so I think I wouldn't say he was unlucky with the first yellow card. The second yellow card, which we may as well jump onto now, that to me is, uh, uh, I would say it was a disgraceful. Well, I wouldn't say the referee. I can see why the referee gave it because in live action, when you're watching it, it did look like it was a yellow card. It did look like you pulled them back. When you see the replay back, you know, he, he hasn't pulled his shirt at all. Jordan Ayew buys one. I don't blame him for that because, you know, he, he plays for Crystal Palace and he needs to get any advantage he can. So I, I don't want to be critical of him but I just think that oh we have VAR there I know they're not meant to look at bookings but really like why not it would have literally well with VAR it might not have took 10 seconds but it could have literally taken 10 seconds they just have to watch it once and go oh he hasn't pulled the shit and we wouldn't give him the second yellow card and then decisions can change the game if Arsenal had conceded late on and you know dropped two points that could be the difference for them for the title come the end of the season and those are massive decisions. On the flip side, Crystal Palace get an extra point. Maybe that's what keeps them up at the end of the year. I know I don't think they're going to be in relegation trouble, but you never know. So it's frustrating that we've got that technology there. We've seen it used. Um, we see it used incorrectly on a lot of occasions as well, and the referees getting involved or the VAR, sorry, getting involved when it shouldn't. So it just seems a shame that you know we can't change the way that VAR is used and say that second yellow cards can be checked because they are so important to a game of football it's no different to a straight red card so why can't we check one for anyone who's watching along you will have seen throughout Connor's art today that I had a smug smile on my face because I'm about to go and play full-on devil's advocate here that yes I agree the second yellow card was wrong last night but let's say that this is reversed and let's say that the first booking that Tommy Asu picked up was for not pulling back and I use the inverted quote marks there not pulling back Jordan Ayew because we saw that there was minimal contact let's say he gets the booking for that but we can't check that one because it would be the first yellow card and that the second booking that you get is for time wasting. And again, you wouldn't check that because you'd look at it and you go, well, he was time wasting. 
So where do you draw the line here? Like, I know I'm playing devil's advocate, and I get what you mean. You know, like, VAR is supposed to be used for game-changing moments, but when it's two yellow cards, do we go back and check the first yellow card as well then, back in the first half, and say, oh, well, that actually really wasn't a yellow card, so we'll give you a, a, a second one now, or, or this will be your first one now instead, and that second one's reversed. You know what I mean? Like, you see where I'm coming from here. Is that how far back do we go? Because there'll be instances where, and there have been players who have perhaps harshly been given a first yellow card, and then deservedly pick up a second yellow card and they're giving their marching orders. And if we looked at the second one, then yeah, you're correct. Like we, that, that wouldn't be overturned, would it? Because they'll look at it and go, no, fair cop, gov, you've got me there. That was a yellow card. But it's the first one that perhaps put them in that incident. So that's, that's me playing. I, I know I'm playing with Friday and playing devil's advocate, but that, that's the kind of the issue. Where, where do you then draw the line? You know? Because again, if we do get to that point of we'll only check second yellow cards, we'll still have the same incidents of, uh, controversy because of harshly given first yellow cards. I, I don't think there's a, it, every solution to this for me would be an imperfect solution to an imperfect problem. I would agree with that. I think that anybody listening to that would probably agree with your devil's advocate assessment. The, the only caveat I would have to that is the first yellow card, I don't think you can ever check. The second yellow card, I think, can be checked because it is a red card and we do say that VAR checks red cards. So, if you can just take out your head that it's a second yellow card and actually say, well, it's, it's a red card. So any red card decision is checked. Then I think that possibly is the imperfect answer to an imperfect problem. The only thing I would say with, with that decision yesterday is if Tommy Yasu was on a yellow card, say the instance were reversed and he got booked for the first one. Uh, the sorry, you got booked for the Jordan Ayew one first. He wouldn't be time wasting later in the game because he'd know he'd get booked. So that that would maybe be in that situation how that would change. But you're right; it's it's a difficult problem to to answer because we don't want VAR checking every single yellow card. But I think we do want VAR to make sure that game changing decisions are correct, and you know, second yellow cards for red cards are game changing decisions. So. I don't think there would be much backlash from fans if that was changed. Obviously, you would have a match of the day and, and Monday Night Football them whinging about, you know, the fact that this first yellow card wasn't a yellow card and the second one was or whatever. But, you know, that's always going to happen. You know, we, we, we are striving for full perfection of refereeing throughout the whole 90 minutes. We're just striving that the important decisions are correct. And second yellows, as we saw yesterday, fortunately, didn't cost also anything from their perspective. But second yellows are game-changing decisions and I don't see a reason why we can't add that caveat to the rule book that VAR can check second yellow cards. There are other issues as well with the refereeing performance yesterday. I think Thomas Partey lucky to avoid a booking himself as well for, for asking for a booking for a Crystal Palace player um, which again is, is supposedly in the new law so where Mikel Arteta was asking for consistency from the referee I think we can all get on board with that not from them all but you know because of course everyone's different um, but definitely from, from referees in the game if they're going to be hard on one thing they've got to be hard on everything I think these days in, in the new line of officiating but of course we could do an entire podcast and we probably have done most of this podcast already on refereeing decisions Connor just briefly on Arsenal um, to me Asu's going to be suspended for the next game yes it's only one match so they can probably you know get through it but you look at that back line last night you've still got Thomas Partey playing right back they could bring in Gabriel and move Ben White to, to right back again but you look at that back line in general Tommy Asu's suspended yes only for one game but Timber's going to be out for a long, long time. Looks like Kieran Tierney's time at the club is coming to a close. Alexander Sinchenko, there are still fitness concerns around him at the start of the season, so they're trying to nurse him back in. This Arsenal squad does need another defensive addition, doesn't it, before this transfer window shuts? 
I think so. You look as well at the players that are linked with moves away. I know you, you touched a little bit on that with Kieran Tini. But Cedric Suarez, you know, he's been heavily linked with the move away. And I, I don't think Arsenal would necessarily trust him anyway to be filling in for them at the moment. Nuno Tavares has been linked with a move away. And Gabriel, you know, has also been linked with moves away. I think he's linked to Saudi Arabia a couple of weeks ago. So I think Arsenal are trying to get a little bit of flexibility by moving on, you know, Certainly in terms of wages, I imagine all three of those players and Quintini on top of that are, are big wage earners for Arsenal. So in terms of resources, they probably would like to move on some players so they can add some quality additions to their back line. You would think with the injuries that they've got that Gabriel probably isn't going to move on. I think that, you know, he came on um, last night. I think also would be foolish to move him on because I don't think they'd necessarily be able to replace him easily. But they do need reinforcements at the back. I don't know if these are going to be short-term sort of stop gaps. You know, I don't know if a team like Arsenal with 10 days left in the window are going to go out there and spend 50, 60 million pounds to buy in a, a full, you know, a defensive player that's going to play 50 games in a season. I don't think that this is the time to make that kind of move. So to me, it would probably make sense if they did look for a stopgap kind of signing, whether or not that even be a loan signing from, you know, a, a European club or even a club in the Premier League that have got a little bit of flexibility there, but aren't sure if they want to get rid of a player. So, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be shocked if Arsenal brought in probably a couple of players, but I think it depends on what they can get rid of. Cedric and Nuno Tavares just it seems obvious that they would go. I think here in Tierney, it depends on what Arsenal get. Then I think Newcastle are obviously heavily heavily linked, but they brought in that Lewis Hall from Chelsea. So I don't know if they're going to be interested still in Kieran It's going to be interesting though, because I think Arsenal do have work to do. And it would be from their perspective, they've done so much good work in the transfer market so far. And they've done so much good work over the last couple of years to get themselves in a position where they're credible title contenders, if leaving themselves a little bit short defensively is what costs them the, the title so early in the season. Because at the minute, you know, the, they are close to having a, a patchwork where they already have a patchwork defence, haven't they, with Thomas Party playing right back in. That's not what a, a title contender needs. You know, they have players playing in the correct positions to set themselves up for, you know, a, a strong campaign where they can compete with Man City at the top of the table. Talking of transfers, I suppose it's only right that we move our attention onto Chelsea now uh, on, on the podcast today. And a, a disappointing weekend for them, of course. Uh, Marcel Pochettino tasting defeat for the first time as Chelsea boss, going down 3-1 away at London Rivals West Ham. I had another stat as well. It's, it's the, it was already the third uh, London derby of 42 we can expect in the Premier League this season. So I suppose when you've got half of the Capitals clubs in there, you are going to get them on a regular basis. But anyway, the game itself... Uh, perhaps a little bit of a weird one for Chelsea. They played well, and you look at the, the kind of XG and everything else about it, and, you know, the issue is, is yeah, pretty much like last season, couldn't finish their dinner, I think. You know, created a lot of chances, just couldn't find the touch to get in the back of the net. But that's something that they need to work on. It's something that they couldn't solve last season. It's something that Pochettino is going to have to solve very quickly. Uh, and I know having Christopher and Kunku out in Chile isn't going to help, and Nicholas Jackson's going to have to do a lot of the heavy lifting probably in the early part of the season. But are we a little bit, you know, perhaps being too harsh on Mauricio Prochettino and expecting him to have solved all of Chelsea's issues 
in in you know the space of two matches because again you've got to remember that they've brought in so many new players even this summer as well that they're all still getting used to each other aren't they yeah uh, I think I don't think you can judge Pochettino harshly on the first two games of the season I mean the Liverpool game on the opening day I thought they played pretty well in fact towards the end of that game if there was going to be anyone that was going to win it, I think it was going to be Chelsea I think they could be happy with that one there I don't think against West Ham they were bad by any stretch, I think if Enzo Fernandez scores the penalty, that they probably go on and win the game. Um, it just felt to me like they they lacked that little bit of you know clinical edge, which is what you just touched on there. And we all know that that's Chelsea's big problem. And I don't know if they've they've necessarily addressed that. Certainly in the in long term, maybe they have. You know, maybe they've got options there that in when they've had six months a year of Premier League football behind them, maybe the the strikers that they brought in can you know become goal scoring strikers but right now I think it's it's difficult when you bring in players from abroad who've got no experience of this league to come in and hit the ground runner that, that can be really hard um, I do think that Chelsea should be expecting more from certain players though you know I, st- I still think that certainly on the opening day you look at Raheem Sterling and that move just feels like it hasn't worked out but also he's a player that should be scoring you know more goals than what he has for Chelsea you know I think they've got players that have let them down a little bit and it's up to Pochettino to figure it out, but I don't think he was—he wasn't a short-term appointment. I don't think Chelsea brought him into the club to immediately become title contenders. I think they were well aware that this was a project that was going to take years to to come to fruition. And I think Pochettino needs, you know, probably a, a couple of seasons really before Chelsea can start to be in the position that Arsenal are in right now. When you look at the job that Miguel Arteta has done at Arsenal. That's the kind of job that Pochettino probably needs to do at Chelsea. And it's going to be difficult because you looked at West Ham and the thing that they have is consistency. You know, you can kind of guess what the start 11 is going to be. You know, they haven't changed all that much. I know they've lost Declan Rice, but overall the team hasn't changed all that much. And you know what you're going to get from a David Moyes team most of the time, particularly at home in the Derby game, whereas Chelsea are a bit of a mixed bag. And I think it's going to take a long time for them to find that level of consistency. But I do think Pochettino is the man to do it. I think he's, he is the correct appointment for Chelsea. I just hope that the fans and the and the owners at the club don't start panicking if the start of the season, you know, doesn't go the way it's planned. I think next week, you know, we've got Luton um, next game at home and, and that's a chance for them to really put their stamp on the season because them two teams, you know, even with the struggles that Chelsea are having, Chelsea should be winning that game quite comfortably. And if they can get a big win there, that could really set them up for the rest of the campaign. Are you suggesting then that perhaps even, you know, there was a lot of talk about what, what is the minimum requirement for Chelsea this year? And, you know, everyone was saying, well, it has to be, look at the outlay that they've done, it has to be top four. Are you suggesting there that actually Chelsea will be quite fortunate if they do make it into the top four? You know, and I, mean, I suppose, you know, it does come with the the added thing of who else have they got to beat to it? They've probably got, you know, I'm trying to remember how many clubs finished above them last year. They were, they were bottom half, weren't they? I can't remember the exact number. So they've got quite a few clubs to try and catch up on and you would expect them in normal circumstances to finish above them. But it's, you know, the likes of Aston Villa, Newcastle, Brighton, as well as, you know, your, your traditional cities, Arsenal's, Liverpool's, Manchester United, that, that they're going to have to try and finish above, uh, uh, you know, the majority of those to get into the top four this year. So are you, are you suggesting that Chelsea may be, you know, might be, up against it to even, to even break into that this year. I think so. I I don't think Chelsea are a. I wouldn't say they're not a realistic top four contender. I think that they can definitely aspire to that. But 
a good season for me for Chelsea would be finishing in the top six, you know, fifth or sixth place would be excellent. I look at what other teams have in this league, you know, they're not going to catch Man City. I think they're far away from Arsenal. I think that Manchester United, although we are going to talk about them, they've had a stinking start the season, but you would think that Manchester United will be, you know, better than them with more consistency, haven't had as much upheaval. Um, Liverpool, the same. And then, you know, I, I think Newcastle, Aston Villa and Brighton, all three of them, although they all have European football to contend with this year, which they didn't last year. Um, those three teams are probably the ones that Chelsea need to try and get above in the league to represent a good season. But I don't, I don't think it's realistic to expect such a turnover in the team. The turmoil of last season, I mean, I think Chelsea finished with 40-something, I think under 45 points last year. That was 44, 42. They had a, a really bad season. So to expect them to essentially add 30 points to that total is, is madness, really. You, know, you don't expect that kind of change for anyone else. I know that you know that, that was a season in which they, they greatly underachieved. And I think we can all admit they, they probably weren't, <laughs> in terms of the quality of their squad, they shouldn't be finishing the bottom half of the league. But to expect Pochettino to come in and fix all their problems overnight and this season have a, a really strong campaign where they finish third or fourth I just think it's unrealistic for me Chelsea would be I think should be content with getting European football this season um, even if that's settling for the conference league and finishing seventh the important thing for them is, is don't panic stick to the plan let Pochettino do his work we know that he's good at building you know clubs he did it with Tottenham you know and I think he can he can do it again with Chelsea if he's given the right time and resources just Finally, on Chelsea as well, uh, again, with the resources there, he was heavily backed to go and get Moise Caicedo and, and, you know, spent a, a British transfer record fee on him. Um, I suppose we kind of knew the way the script was going to go. We knew that he was probably going to have a disaster for Davey because that's normally the way it goes for these players when they uh, have such a big fee behind them. I suppose the only positive is it can only get better from here for Caicedo, can't it? We, I mean, he can't get any worse, can he? No, I, I think you're right there. It's, it's one of them where he was either going to have a storming debut and everyone was like, wow, what a player, you know, the, the fought him in and he scored two goals or he was going to have a, a, a bit of a, a stinker and it turns out he had a little bit of a stinker. But yeah, you can't be worried about that. At the end of the day, Chelsea's hopefully, by spending that amount of money, have done the research, have, have probably looked into him and realised that he fits into the way that they play and fits into the system and he's a player that Pochettino likes. So, you know, they, they need to... Stick him back in there and show that they trust him and in that he's going to be a big player for them. Because when you spend that amount of money on a player that's his age, you know he he should be anchoring that Chelsea midfield for the next decade or so, and and that's important. So if I was Chelsea, I would just forget about the debut, move on. You know, look at next week against Luton. That's a really good chance for you to to get everyone, you know, a bit of confidence and get the season on the right track. We're going to actually praise my beloved Tottenham Hotspur for once. Of course, I was going to shoehorn them in on the running order this week to make sure that we can praise Tottenham. We didn't get much of an opportunity to do that last season. Instead, I was miserable and probably crying quite a lot on this podcast instead. But we will talk about how brilliant Spurs were. Of course, they were. No detractors here. Spurs obviously getting a, a 2 0 win at home to Manchester United. Looking good value for it as well uh, to, to be finished. You know, I, I think definitely deserved winners and. And I have seen one or two people suggesting we dominated Manchester United. Uh, I wouldn't want to go that far, but if others want to say it, by all means. 
In terms of the early days of Ange Postacoglu at Spurs, Connor, and the fact that Harry Kane left on the eve of the new season, you know, last season, Tottenham's attacking play was much maligned and, and, and much criticised. You know, even though Harry Kane went to score 30 goals, there wasn't really much else going on outside of Harry Kane. There, were, there wasn't many others chipping in with the goals. So that was probably going to be a concern for Spurs. And, and, you know, we read all the stories around Harry Kane. How do they replace him? And of course, you know, with Charleston's playing up front, he's not scored yet. But in the two games so far in the Premier League season, under Ange Postacoglu, Spurs have four points and they've got four goals. It's looking okay for them in the early part of this, isn't it? Without their talisman, Harry Kane. If they can go without a striker, he knows where the back of the net is. Who knows what could happen? But Ange Ball was looking quite nice for Spurs at the minute, I'd say. We're already at the Ange Ball stage. This early in the season, it's got a name, Ange Ball. But um, no, I think if you offered a Tottenham fan, or if I offered you, Ned, two weeks ago from the first two games, Brentford away and Manchester United at home, they were easy games. And to have got four points from them, and I think be unlucky at Brentford as well, you know, they could easily have had six from them two games. And I've been really impressed. I think I'm so used to seeing Spurs being so just dour to watch, hard to watch, defensive, relying on moments of inspiration from Harry Kane or Son or Kulisevsky. There hasn't been anything in terms of the rest of the team attacking, in a sense, you know, the, the rest of the team was sat, you know, rigid and, and they were just relying on moments. Whereas now you look at it and it looks like they've got a, a coherent attack and plan. I think it's it's chalk and cheese, you know, what we, we've seen compared to last season in the first two games. Obviously, it could be a honeymoon period, but I think if they stick to the principles that they're showing right now to the end of the season, I think Tottenham should have a good season. You're right in terms of bringing in a striker, though. Rickarlison, it's just not a goal scorer, you know, and that, that's a fundamental issue. If they can get goals from elsewhere on the pitch, then, you know, happy days. But they do need to bring in somebody, in my opinion. If they want to be top four, you know, that's a that's a big hole in their team that they need to fill. I don't know if they've got their eyes on anyone. I mean, you'll probably know more so than me who they're kind of looking at to be the, the new striker. But it is a, it's a shame in a lot of ways that we're not seeing Harry Kane in this team. You know, it would be really interesting to see him playing in a progressive forward-thinking team after spending a couple of years in the opposite of that. Um, but I, I'm impressed. That's all I can say so far, Ned. I, I'm just, I'm impressed with what I've seen from Spurs. Yeah, but the thing is, is that if we had Harry Kane in this system, it just wouldn't be fair on everyone else. We just have to give everyone else a chance in the Premier League. Um, you know, otherwise it would be 38 games, 100, well, actually, no, it wouldn't be 114 points. I'm about to stick my foot in it already. 112 it would be. We'll, we'll draw the first game and then we'll win all the other 37 instead. Move on with my poor maps and forgetting about the bench job. We'll talk about Man United now instead before I further make myself look any more silly. Um, in terms of them so far this season, very underwhelming in that win over Wolves. Perhaps extremely fortunate, I'd say, to uh, to, to come out of that game with all three points, of course. Um, PGML... L uh, apologising to Wolves after the game, saying that they should have had penalty for where Andre Anana clotheslined uh, Sasa Kalazic in the closing moments of that match. Didn't look great against the Spurs either. It's not a good start. And they started slowly last year, Manchester United as well. Let's not forget that, you know, they, they lost both of their opening games and then, you know, beat a very poor Liverpool side 2-1 in the end. And it was, you know, two underwhelming sides that came together in, in a, you know, a derby that's got a storied history. And then they kind of kicked on from there. They probably need that same moment, I'm guessing, this season, don't they? That they need something just for it to kind of click and use that as the, as the springboard. Because at the minute, uh, they're kind of, you know, for a team that had such 
high hopes and expectations over how last year went, winning that first trophy and kind of now expecting the next step on their journey to be pushing for a title, launching a title challenge. I'm not saying being title challenges, but at least launching one. It's, it's not how they would have wanted to start this campaign, is it? I think if you look at everything we've seen from the start of the Premier League so far, and you know, I've watched both Manchester United games, I've watched both Manchester City games, and the, the, there just isn't a comparison there. You know, Manchester United just don't have, I don't know what it is, because they've got a decent team on paper, but at the minute, their midfield in particular just looks non-existent. I mean, that Wolves game, you wouldn't see Man City's midfield getting destroyed like that ever. Even in games that Manchester City lose, their midfield doesn't allow that to happen to them. They got run over in it. And it was the same in the Tottenham game. The, the midfield just doesn't look prepared. I don't know. It's hard because you know they've got good midfielders in there. It feels like Mason Mount, you know, just hasn't settled into that team. Doesn't look like he fits very well. And it because of that, they've been going with him over Christian Eriksen. But I think Christian Eriksen and Casemiro are a better midfield too. Um, it just doesn't look good for Manchester United. But you look at the fixtures coming up. Nottingham Forest this weekend, similar in the way that Chelsea have Luton. That's a chance to put your marker down for the season and, and go, right, this is where it really starts. And we can we can build from that. But following that, you know, Arsenal away, hard game, and then Brighton at home. You know, we saw what Brighton did to Manchester United last season at Old Trafford. So, you know, they could be looking at a, a tricky start. I mean, you expect them to beat Nottingham Forest, but after that, you know, Arsenal and, and Brighton, They'd probably snap your hand off for just three points from them two games right now. And I think that that would be um, a good return for them. But it's it's concerning, you know, watching Manchester United at the minute because they they weren't necessarily terrible against Tottenham, but Tottenham just had something about them in Manchester United were kind of just in the game without really doing all that much. You know, they were, they were functional, but nothing more and, and that's a concern the Wolves game we know that they shouldn't have won that game they probably were lucky even if they were to get a point from that you know to come out with three was miraculous they played that game another 99 times they would have lost or drawn you know them 99 games because they really didn't deserve anything from it and I think if you're a Manchester United fan you'd be concerned with their start of the season that being said you know we do know that Hoysland's going to come in and, you know, when they get Marcus Rashford in his correct position, maybe that'll change things for them and they can start to find a little bit of that form from last season. And, and maybe this is just a minor blip, much like it was last year when they started slowly. Um, maybe they'll turn it around. But from their perspective, if they really want to be title contenders, you know, you can't afford a slow start of the season. They're already three points back. And with game, you know, that Arsenal game coming up in a couple of weeks, you'd worry that they could fall even further back at that point and then you, you really chase it and probably possibly even you know out of the race almost because of how effective Manchester City are at the top of the table Indeed it's a, it's a scary thought for Manchester United fans already and we're not even through the second week of uh, of Premier League action Connor thank you so much for joining us today really appreciate your time as always of course you can keep up to date with all the latest from the Premier League and the transfer window of course because we're ticking down to that next week not long to go now for clubs to finalise their signings until January uh, but of course you can keep up to date with all the latest from that across the Daily Mirror Daily Express Daily Start websites but for now it's goodbye